Good morning. A reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 12. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. You guys doing all right? Happy New Year. Advent is the start of the church year, so we can say Happy New Year. I know it's a little weird, but uh, Advent starts the church calendar, and it's quite something different that we start the year with waiting. We start the year in expectation, and that's a little bit different than our traditional uh, New Year approach. Advent is a season of expectant waiting. It's looking back to the first coming of Jesus and eagerly looking ahead to his second coming. And what Advent does is it actually positions our heart. It positions our heart to behold the wondrous mystery of King Jesus, who was born at Christmas to make all things new. And this year at Advent, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be focusing in on the songs of Christmas— We're going to be looking at those classic songs like Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer. Just kidding. Kidding. Promise. We're not going to go there, except for that one reference right there. Uh, We don't often pause to consider the songs that we're singing. We, we hear them, we sing them year after year, but oftentimes we don't, we don't stop to reflect on the words that we're actually proclaiming about who this Jesus is. And as, as we slow down a bit, which Advent is all about, we discover these glorious truths, these deep, profound theological statements about this King that we worship who has come for us at Christmas. Now, don't worry, the word theology isn't scary. I'm not going to ruin your favorite Christmas songs, I promise, I think. Let's pray real quick so I don't ruin them. Father, we come waiting. We come expectant. And we love you. We thank you that you loved us first. And we have hope because there's hope in you. We have life because there's life in you. And this Advent season, I pray that you would meet us in our longing. Meet us in our expectancy. That where we are hopeless, I pray that you would pour out hope upon us. And I pray that you would make us merry when we're not merry. That we come and we, we wait before you right now, remembering what Christ has done for us 
remembering that he was born at Christmas time and remembering and expecting that he will come again. God, as we pause, meet us here. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. Amen? Okay, we're going to get some group participation going. It is the most wonderful time of the year. There, there are lights, there's love, there's levity. It's just this time of the year where we enjoy things. It's this time of the year where our hearts feel a little lighter, where we walk with a little bit more of a spring in our step. As we drive down the road, we see lights and lights and lights, and there's something inside of us that gets a little excited. We get a little happy. We, we enjoy talking with one another a bit more. We can stand that relative at dinner a, a little bit more this time of year. God is doing something in our hearts. There's lights, there's love, there's levity, but there's another L as well, and that's a longing. There's a longing for, for Christmas to never end. There's a longing for this season to just, just go a little bit longer. Just a little bit more joy, a little bit more hope. It's a longing for, for the former things to just fully fade away and for this newness to rest, this newness to take hold. It's a longing ultimately for new creation. During Advent, we celebrate this tension that we live in. We look back to the first coming of Jesus and look ahead to his second coming, and there's a longing in that, a longing for what Jesus is ultimately going to do. This type of longing is normal, but sometimes it's hard to stay hopeful in the longing. It's hard to stay hopeful when it feels like it's always winter but never Christmas. It's hard to, to stay hopeful when things around us don't seem to be going the way that we want. It's hard to stay hopeful when it just feels like we're always waiting. We have to remember that God has made a way. God has made a way. And that's what we celebrate. That's what we proclaim. That's what we worship during this season, that God has made a way. Today's song that we're talking about to kick off our, our series on the songs of Christmas is God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. And that's a really weird first line for a song. Like, what on earth does the song say? God rest ye merry gentlemen. Well, I do feel a little merry when I get a rest. All the parents said amen. When I get that nap, I'm like, yes. I feel a bit more merry. But that's not ultimately what the song is about. Now, we have to go back to 1800s for a moment. So picture there, we got nice hats on, we're a bit more dressed up, that sort of thing. God rest ye merry is a prayer saying, God, keep us merry. It's not talking about merry gentlemen or happy gentlemen. It's saying, gentlemen, may God keep you merry. May God keep you in this Christmas spirit. This is a song about God meeting our longing for Christmas to never end. It's about God showing up and doing something within us, keeping us merry throughout the entire year. The song talks about there are many things that can cause us dismay, right? Lots of things that can dismay our hearts. So many things that we can name, and I'm not even going to try to name them because you're already thinking about them. You're thinking about all the things that you need to do or what's troubling you, what's worrying you. But if we pause, we remember we look to Jesus, if we take a step back, things change. We're not to let the, the worries and the things that can cause dismay to take root in our hearts. How do we do this? What's the secret? By focusing on Jesus. 
That's the, the secret by praising him, by allowing him to take root in our hearts at a deeper level than all the things we worry about, than all the things that, that cause us dismay. The song that we're, we're singing and talking about this morning is, uh, is a song that's kind of like a blueprint. It's a blueprint to the life that we want, the life that we're longing for, the life where the Queen of Narnia is defeated and Christmas has come and winter is gone. And some of you are like, yes. And some of you are like, I have no clue what you're talking about. Read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It'll be great for you and all of you. The main thing this song tells us to do to get this type of life is remember that Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. Really? That's it? Remember? Remember, that's, that's how we get this life. That's how we get to this longing being fulfilled. We, we remember? Well, it's kind of like Dory in Finding Nemo. Forget, and we go away, and they're like, oh, I remembered again. And then we go this way, and we forget. I remembered again. P. Sherman, 42, Wallaby Way, Sydney. I remembered again and again and again. You know, we remember and forget a lot of things. Now, wives, do not nudge your husbands right now. But it's true. We remember things that are meaningful, and we remember some things that are not so meaningful. And men, we are the worst of this. We can tell you what a certain baseball player's batting average and OPS was for the year, but we can't remember where we ate last night. Or we can't remember that name of the restaurant that we really like. We're the worst at this. We remember some things and we forget some things. We remember the things that don't matter and we forget the things that do matter. And so when we're called to remember that Christ our Savior was born on Christmas, it can be this thing where we're like, that, that's it? That's, that's all we do, just remembering? That doesn't seem like enough. Well, we need to talk about that a bit. And to do that, we're going to talk about two Ebenezers this morning. First, we're going to look at the Ebenezer stone in 1 Samuel 7, 7 through 12. And this isn't the typical like Advent or, or Christmas story, so, so bear with me a bit. Let's read it together. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to the point below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it before, between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Let's picture this for a moment. Israel's under attack. And how do we feel when we're under attack? Do we feel full of joy? Do we feel full of love? Do we feel safe? Do we feel hopeful? No. That's what Israel was feeling at this moment. They're hopeless. They're, they're afraid of what's going to happen. They see an enemy who's pursuing them, an enemy that's uh, attacking them, and, and they're there, and they're just like, ah. 
and they go to the prophet Samuel, and they tell him, Samuel, we're afraid, we're terrified, pray to the Lord God for us, and don't stop praying, because we really, 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 really need him. Don't stop praying, Samuel. We know that God is our only hope. And so Samuel jumps into action. He begins praying and he makes an an offering before the Lord, a sacrificial lamb. And what happens? Does God say, well, nope, sorry, not there. Good luck. No. The Lord answers the prayer. The Lord sees the need of his people. He sees their hopelessness. He sees their fear. He sees the battle that's before them and realizes that the only way for victory is for him to step in on our behalf. And he does so. And he thunders against the Philistines and he empowers the Israelites to defeat them. And to commemorate the victory, Samuel sets up a memorial stone saying, this is what God has done for us. Let us always remember that this God, the one we cried out to when we were hopeless and when we were afraid and when we were facing a battle that was bigger than us, this God met us here. He defeated the enemy. He made a way when there was no way. And we're going to set up a stone here called Ebenezer, and we're going to remember. We're going to remember what God has done. And it's not just so that they can look at it and tell a good story to their kids. It's so that they can remember that the God who was then is the God who is now. Remember that the God who defeated the enemy then is still the God who defeats the enemy now. He's still a God who intervenes, still a God who intercedes, still a God who is seeking and saving the lost. It's so easy to forget. It's so easy easy to forget. The Old Testament tells us over and over again of how Israel forgets. Ultimately, God does this great thing. Israel celebrates, and then they go and do their own thing, and then God intervenes again, saying, hey, what are you doing? And then they repent for a moment, and then the cycle continues over and over and over again. They forget who their God is. God shows them again. They remember. They forget who their God is. God comes again. They remember over and over again. It's not easy to truly remember. To remember in such a way where where those events aren't just in the past, but take root into our hearts. It's not easy to allow the goodness of what God has done in, in the past to affect our hope today to affect our present reality, because in reality, as we look at our battles, as we look at our struggles, all we can see is that. They're they're right here in front of our face, and we can't see around them. We have to close our eyes to stop looking at them. We have to close our eyes and not look at what's right in front of us, but instead remember what God has done back there. Remember what he did previously. Remembering that the God who came at Christmas time is still active in our lives. That he didn't just come and live and die and was resurrected and ascended to heaven and said, good luck, I'll see you in a few thousand years. That's not who our God is. That's not what our God did. The God who came at Christmas is still the God who is seeking and saving the lost. He is still alive and active. He is still moving. He's still interceding on our behalf. The one who stepped into our story at Christmas is still stepping into our story all along the way. He sees what's going on. He sees our path. He doesn't just look up there and say, oh, that's going to be hard for you. 
says, trust in me. Remember that I am your God and that you are mine. That I love you with an unfailing love. Remember that I came for you. Remember that I poured out my love for you. Remember that I humbled myself for you. We remember so that we will trust him today. So that we'll walk with him today. So that we'll have a hope that's unshaken. But sometimes it's really, really, really hard to do that. It's really hard. And sometimes we refuse to remember. We're just like, God, I I know theoretically you did that in the past, but this seems too hard. We harden our hearts towards God a bit. And so let's talk about our second Ebenezer. This is Ebenezer Scrooge from A Christmas Carol. Scrooge is like the quintessential grumpy old man, right? Complete with a scowl on his face and his infamous bah humbug. We, we can picture Scrooge and we can look at him up on the screen. He's like not the guy who's like in the Christmas spirit, right? All things are not merry and bright with Ebenezer Scrooge. Bah humbug is his declaration. And what does humbug mean? You guys know? Oh, it's already up there. Well, I didn't design that very well, did I? <laughs> Thank you, Sam. I appreciate that. We often think of humbug as just displeasure, right? Like someone not in the Christmas spirit. But humbug is a word in the 1800s that literally means something is a hoax or a fraud. And so as Scrooge is going around saying, bah humbug, he's saying, this is all a hoax. It's all a fraud. It isn't real. What are you doing? Why are you so happy? Why are you so hopeful? Why are you so full of joy? Why is love reigning in your heart? Don't you know that this is silly? Don't you know that there isn't a God who loves you? Don't you know that nothing is real about this? That's Scrooge's approach to Christmas. And in the happiest of circumstances for this preacher, uh, our carol is in a Christmas carol. God rest ye merry gentlemen is the song that carolers come to sing at Scrooge's door. And I loved it. I was like, yes, works perfectly. And what does Scrooge do? He doesn't remember. He doesn't like, oh yeah, right. Jesus is the reason for the season. I'm going to repent and now trust in God. What does he do? You guys remember? You've read the book? He grabs the person leading the carolers and scares them so much that they run off crying. He doesn't remember that Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. He didn't remember that, that Jesus came when he had gone astray. To him, it was a hoax. His hardened heart did not allow him to put his hope in Christ. He was set in his ways and it would take a Christmas miracle for that to change. He needed the hope of Christmas. He needed to see all the ways he had gone astray. And he gets that in the end. We need that as well. We need to remember that that we were powerless, that we were dead in our trespasses. And that is why we need Christmas. It's why we need Jesus. On a spectrum of the two Ebenezer's, the Ebenezer Stone and Ebenezer Scrooge, I think oftentimes we're somewhere in the middle. We, we may remember eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus in the manger. But oftentimes we're unwilling to remember what he's accomplished for us. Unwilling to remember that his life, death, and resurrection aren't just a good fairy tale, but they're true. 
We fail to remember that he's sitting beside God Almighty, reigning in victory, that he will come back again. We may sing his praise at Christmas time, but do we live for him throughout the year? Have we fully repented? Are we living for him? At Christmas, we're to remember not just baby Jesus in the manger, but King Jesus, the Messiah, who has come for us. That's what we're to remember. Not just good stories, not just good feelings. We're to remember that while we were dead in our trespasses, God came to our aid. That he stepped into our story at Christmas. We remember that Christ was born for a purpose. To save us all when we had gone astray, as the song says. Christmas has meaning and purpose, not because of the lights, not because of the the cheer, not because of the, the merriment. Christmas has meaning and purpose because at its core, it's about Jesus coming for us while we were dead in our sin. That's why it has meaning. That's why we long for something new during this time. It's why there's wonder and cheer and merriment inside of us because we remember what Jesus has done. We remember the story of redemption. It's in our songs. We sing it. We proclaim it. And we know it, but we don't truly know it. It invites us to something new, something different. A new way of life where we don't just live with this inkling of something having happened before in history, but we live with a constant realization that the God who came is the God who is still with us. The God who still walks with us when it's hard. The God who is right there when the thing that's in front of us seems insurmountable. When it seems like the challenge is too hard, like it's too much for us to bear, we remember that our sin was too much for us to bear, but God came to our aid. We remember that while we didn't deserve it, he came for us. For all of us. Every single one. Not just a select few. Not the best and brightest. Not those who had everything all together. He came for all of us. The song that we're talking about, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, continues to tell us about that. It tells us to remember the good news given to certain shepherds. Let's, let's read those two verses from the song. From God our Heavenly Father, a blessed angel came, and unto certain shepherds brought tidings of the same. How that in Bethlehem was born the Son of God by name. Fear not, then said the angel, let nothing you affright. This day is born a Savior of a pure virgin bright, to free all those who trust in him from Satan's power and might. That's what we remember. That's what Christmas is about. It's about Jesus coming to free us, to save us, to make us new, to change everything. That's what we remember at Christmas. And so let's read in Luke 2, 4 through 12 again the biblical story that corresponds with our carol. So Joseph also went up up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to, to him and was expecting a child. 
While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were certain shepherds, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Say all the people. Thank you. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in manger. Here's the good news, friends. The revelation of Jesus is given to the lowly. Given to the lowly. God doesn't come in pomp and circumstance with this this great welcoming committee. He announces it to shepherds who are off in their fields. He announces it to these. And these shepherds are not like in our mind where they're all cleaned up and they look nice in the manger scene. They're dirty. They're grimy. They smell like sheep. They are people you don't want to be around. And in first century Israel, they're looked down upon. They're not those where you're like, oh yeah, I want to be a shepherd when I grow up. That was like the equivalent of being the garbage man today. Like you don't want your kids saying, I want to be a shepherd. And yet it's to these shepherds that God gives a revelation of this new order, new life, peace, hope, love, joy. Shepherds lived out in their fields with theirs or their their master's sheep. They didn't participate in the religious rituals due to constantly having to be caring for the flock. They were, in fact, considered untrustworthy. They couldn't even testify in court. And yet this is who God chooses. This is who God announces the good news to. These despised shepherds are are announced and proclaim the newborn king. Why? Why? Why would God do that? Why does God choose them? Because the, God, because the gospel is good news for the downcast. The gospel is good news for the lowly. The gospel is good news for the despised. The gospel is good news for the sinner. The gospel is good news for all of those who think they are unworthy. The gospel is for you. It's good news of great joy for every person, including you. And why is it good news of great joy? What makes it so good? What makes it so great? What makes it so joyous? Because the long-awaited Messiah has come. He's come, the one who's going to make all things new. He is the Son of the living God by name, the Lord of all creation, the one who was in the beginning, who was and is and is to come. This Messiah The long-awaited, promised Messiah is finally here. There's no more waiting. There's no more longing. No more, what if? Is God going to keep his promises? Yes, he's here. He's here. The one prophesied at the dawn of sin to crush the serpent's head has now come into the world. He's rescued us from sin and death. He's defeated the strong man who holds us in bondage. 
His birth proclaims something new. A new order, one in which all things are being made new. Everything being made new, starting with the human heart. It's newness that has come. God has made a way of salvation. That is what Christmas is about. It's the good news of great joy that salvation is here for all people. What Christmas is all about. It's what the birth of Jesus is all about. It's about the advent or coming of hope. Jesus alone, Christ alone, is the hope of all mankind. Nothing else. Not education, not progress, not money. Jesus alone is the hope of all mankind. You can go out from here this morning and find the the next person you encounter and ask them, is the world perfect? And they're going to tell you that something's wrong with the world. We all agree, no matter what our background is, no matter what our worldview is, that something is wrong in the world. We're not going to meet anyone who says that everything is going great. If If we do, there's something mentally wrong with them. Everything is not going great. And every person, whether secular or saved, whether Christian or not Christian, are all longing for the world to be made right. We just disagree how that's going to happen. We're all longing for something to be made new, but only in Jesus do we find a solution. Only in Jesus do we find a story that actually makes sense of the world. We find a cosmos of meaning where every person... Not just the high and mighty, not just the the rich, not just those who are educated, not just those who are born into a great family, but where every person is seen as worthy. Every person created in the image of God, rich or poor, white or black, strong or weak, all created in the image of God. And we find that in the Christian story only. We're not highly evolved apes that happen to have human rights. We have human rights because we're created in the image of God. We're designed by God, made in his image. There's a problem. It's the problem of sin. It's common to all mankind, and despite our best efforts, we can't overcome it on our own. We've been trying for a long time, and it hasn't worked itself out yet. We keep trying and trying, but there's this sin inside of us that we, we can't overcome. There's something wrong. We want to do the right thing, but often we don't even know what the right thing is, and we're constantly in that cycle of doing this while we want to do that and not doing that while we want to do that. Thanks, Paul, in Romans 7. There's something there, something new that we're longing for. In the Jesus story alone, we discover that there's a good creation That God created it, and he said it was good. And that creation isn't just something that God is going to discard, but it's something that he's going to make new. That's the promise of God for us. A new creation, a new heaven, a new earth. God dwelling with the people like he did in the beginning. A new garden city. It's the greatest story ever told. And it comes into focus with this one event in history. The birth of Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, the one who people had been hoping for, longing for. It comes into focus at the arrival of Jesus, the one who would say, I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. Right now, as we look into our world, it can feel like it's always winter and it's never going to be Christmas. There's a certain longing for things to be made new, but when is it going to happen? We have to trust in Jesus. We have to place our hope in Him alone and nothing else. God is still on the move. Amen? He's still seeking and saving the lost. He is still at work. His promises are still true. His promises are still true. The God who promised that he would come came at Christmas. And the God who promises that he will come again will come again. We remember that what he has done so that we can remember today what he will do. There's hope that's found in Jesus alone. Hope that's found in the newborn king. That's tidings or news of comfort and joy as the song proclaims. God has done the work. God has done it. It's not a result of our merit. It's not a result of our effort. God has done the work. He has made a way. When there was no way, he's given us the ultimate Christmas gift. Jesus himself presented for your salvation. The greatest gift ever given. And God has given it to you. Yes, you. The song that we're talking about this morning, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, uh, there's a singer-songwriter named Meredith Andrews who's added a chorus to it. And we're going to sing it together in a few minutes, but I want to read it to us first as we kind of wrap all this up. It goes like this. He's come for us, this Jesus. He's the hope for all mankind. He's come for us, the Messiah, born to give us life. Jesus was born so that you and I might have life. And not just this life where we float through and hope things work out, but so that we may have life to the full. Abundant life. Life that's truly life. The life that we're longing for. The life that we're hoping for. Life that we really, really, really desire. That's what we have in Jesus. Jesus has come for you. Yes, you. He's the hope that you're longing for. He possesses the forgiveness that you need. He's the family you've never had. He's the friend that you've always wanted. He has come for you. He's the lover of your soul, even on your darkest day. Even when you're at your worst, he loves you with an unfailing love. He loves you and does not despise you. He has come for you. He was born so that you might have life, so that you might be made whole, so that you might have that longing inside of you finally fulfilled. Hope unending, joy unspeakable, love that truly satisfies. It's yours, available to you. Romans 10.9 says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's right there. The gift is before you. Grab a hold of it. Take the gift. Take the offer. God is that good. 
He doesn't hold the gift before you and then they, oh, too slow. He gives it to us. It's right there. He says, take and see that I am good. I have given you this gift of life and love. He loves you and he desires you. Or put it another way, he loves you and he likes you. He wants you. Oh no, not me, pastor. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. God can't love me. He does love you. He knows that you're a dirty, rotten sinner. Just like he knows I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. And he still loves you. He gave himself for you. He came for you. Do you want the gift? Do you want the gift? Comfort and joy can be yours forever. Hope unending can be yours forever. Will you remember that Christ was born for you? Will you remember that he gave his life for you? Will you remember that he suffered and bled and died for you? Will you remember that he defeated the grave for you? Will you remember that he sits at the right hand of God for you? Will you remember that he's coming back for you? Will you remember? Will you put your trust in him? Will you declare that he is the Lord over all creation? The longing is only fulfilled in Jesus. I want to end with the words of another song came to my mind as I was putting final touches on my sermon this morning. And I just want you to close your eyes as I read this. Come behold the wondrous mystery and the dawning of the King. He the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail humanity. In our longing, in our darkness, now the light of life has come. Look to Christ who condescended took on flesh to ransom us. Come behold the wondrous mystery. He is the perfect son of man. In his living, in his suffering, never trace nor stain of sin. See the true and better Adam come to save the hell-bound man. Christ, the great and sure fulfillment of the law in him we stand. Will you stand with me? Let's pray together. Yeah, there are so many battles before us. So many things that cause us dismay. At this time of year, there's something different going on. There's lights, there's love, there's levity. There's longing inside of us for it all to stay. For it to always be Christmas. to dwell with you in fullness and cheer and joy. God, you are the hope of every longing heart. You have come for us. God, you were born to give us life. Now this morning, help us to remember. Help us to rest in you. Help us to see that salvation that you offer is for us. 
The grace you offer is for us. The mercy is for us. Yes, even us. Help us to know that our sin is why you came. Would you meet us here this morning? You're the joy for every longing heart. Help us to remember, O Lord, that you keep us merry all our days. Christ's name.